Hello and welcome to episode six of series four of the Poolside Pass podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Robin Armayan, who is the director of coaching and director of swimming at Plymouth Leander. Um, over the years, Robin has coached uh, national medalists, international swimmers, uh, and this year he has put Laura Stevens on the GB team, as well as swimmers onto European junior teams, as well as other countries' national teams as well. Um, it really excited to get into the conversation with Robin about his coaching journey um, and his, his philosophies behind coaching um, and how he developed as a coach. Um, but before we get into the interview with Robin, just want to say a huge thank you to all the listeners who tuned in to episodes one to five. If you've not listened to those, make sure you go check them out. We've got Kevin Pickard, Rick Hall, uh, Andy Manley, Russ Barber, Sean Barmer. We've got plenty of fantastic coaches uh, on those episodes. So make sure you go check them out. Also, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Poolside Pass. Don't forget our website, www.thepoolsidepass.com. Okay, so I think it's about time I introduced Robin to the podcast. Robin Armayan, how are you getting on? Going very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good. So uh, it's great to great to get you on, on the show. Um, why don't we start by just getting a little bit of your background within swimming and how you got into coaching? Yeah. So um, I, I swam uh, in a club in the southwest of France in the uh, suburb of Bordeaux for about fifteen years, um, and I, I progressed from you know age group, county level to to youth and um and yes started uh, my coaching career um th there was nothing amazing by the way about my swimming career i was just a very very average swimmer um you know more interested in you know making friends <laughs> <laughs> um i i worked really hard in the pool i enjoyed the training not so much the competition um and then after after a few years um, uh, after uni, I decided to, to start coaching. Uh, I was still training a little bit. The two were clashing, so I stopped swimming and uh, concentrated on uh, coaching full-time. My first job was um, three hours a week, age groupers. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. <laughs> uh, and then I progressed to something a little bit more substantial with being in charge of the age group program and helping the, the head coach with uh, youth swimmers uh, at regional and national level. Cool. So you say you started out age group coaching. Um, what were some of the, the key lessons that you learned then when you first started out with those, those age group swimmers? Um, quite a few of them, to be honest with you. Uh, quite <laughs> frankly, I, I see many, many coaches who, who bypass this, this step. Um, I think it's a very important part uh, of, of someone's career, I think. And, and if possible, I would even start with learn to swim. Um, I think it's extremely important for a coach to have, a, to have the full package. Um, I think, I think the, the biggest lesson for me would be taking the time um, to develop the swimmer at a young age. And, and by that, I mean clearly identifying uh, what areas are very important. So what, what are the best females in the world doing? Okay, and how can that relate to uh, young age group females? So for example, um, the best females in the world in 203 uh, will have a six big kick throughout the entire race. Okay, so how can I teach an age grouper 
to maintain a constant six-bit kick in training, and then how does that uh, transfer into a racing situation? So, you know, starting from what we can observe at a high level, and then sort of backtracking all the way down to, to the little ones. Um, I think it's important to be inspiring. I think it's, you know, you, you've got to, the kids go join a swimming club to, to make friends and potentially because they like swimming, but I think primarily to be, to have friends. And so being inspiring, um, having, encouraging a team spirit. I know it's an individual sport, but I think they, they need each other to progress. Um, and I think encouraging that is very important. Um, taking taking the time to develop them, not rushing into into things. Um, it's a long, long way to fulfill their potential. So, you know, being patient, taking your time, um, and clearly, clearly knowing what's important. I think that that's key. Technique, kicking, body position, um, and, and the physiological components of you know their, their weekly program is important. Um, but I, I think um, such things uh, are key as well. So yeah, the, the, the biggest lessons I, I would definitely say that really being patient, <laughs> being patient, being inspiring. It's, it's highly rewarding as well, and, and I think if you if you understand and you can develop a good afro um, swimmer, I should say swimmer, not just one, not just the, the best one that comes <laughs> up and is amazing, um, but being a good afro coach across genders, abilities uh, is important, and then after that you, you take the next step potentially to to youth swimmers. Um, and that, that's one thing I, I explain quite often to age group coaches. Um, whether they're employed by us or they come and ask a few questions, I'll say, before you want to move on to, you know, youth coaching, can you get your swimmers to qualify at county level across a wide range of events with great skills and great technique? And then we'll see. Great. So so when you were starting out as as an age group coach, did you have... Did you have a mentor? Was there was there another coach you were working with that had a really big influence on on how you worked? Yeah, so um, my the person who coached me, uh, his name is Michel Bouvier. He was a he, uh, he was a two hundred butterflyer national French record holder back in nineteen ninety one, I think something like that. And um, he coached me for many years, uh, and then uh, took another job, but still in the same. A laser center and so after every coaching session i would go and see him and spend two or three hours talking or actually more listening <laughs> asking <laughs> asking as many questions as i could and just listening and um it, it was a huge huge influence on me uh we're still in touch which is great um and uh, he, he was by miles the, the big the, the biggest influence from a coaching perspective um, and then after that, uh, there was someone in Australia as well who, who helped me quite a lot, um, cool. as, so, well as, as well as a few coaches in the UK. Um, one of them is Dave Heathcock, he's the head coach of uh, Ealing. Uh, it was a, a fairly big influence for me in the sense that he, um, 
he was the head coach in my first Stream England uh, selection. It was, I think it was in 2011. Uh, he was in charge of, of, of the camp. Uh, and we had meetings every, every evening. And we would, again, spend hours talking and exchanging point of views. And it was great. So. And it sounds like you've, you've had, you know, good support all the way, all the way through your career, which, which, which is great to hear about. You mentioned about your, your time in Australia. First of all, tell us, you know, what, what you were doing out in, in Australia. Yeah. And, and then second of all, you know, what, what were your big takeaways from, from that experience? Yeah. So um, after, after a couple of years coaching in France, I, I felt a little bit stuck. Um, the, the head coach was there to stay, you know, for a long time and he's still there. So, um, and I, I just felt like I wanted, I wanted to progress. I was probably a little bit impatient as well. Um, and so talking to Michel, my mentor at the time, he said to me, uh, you know, why don't you go to, to England? They've got good streamer there. Or you could go to Australia. And I thought England, food's not great, potentially. The weather's not great. <laughs> I think Australia is more appealing. <laughs> um, so I took a working holiday visa with uh, two friends who were streamers and coaches as well. And we all, all went together to Australia. Um, and it was tough to start with because uh, I couldn't speak a lot of English, uh, especially with the Australian accent. I, yeah. I wanted that to be um, a big step in my life where I, I just wanted to see if I could find for myself. So I, I, I basically paid for, I think, two weeks of accommodation. I took 300 Australian dollars with me and left my you know, credit card or debit card at home and just went like that with no English whatsoever and $300. Um, what, what I did sort of, what, what I didn't see coming was how long it would take me to, uh, to be comfortable with English, uh, with the language. Uh, it took me a long time. Um, so, so that was difficult, but and I had to do three months of, um, uh, what was it called? Um, to renew your, your working holiday visa, I had to do two, three months in sugarcane planting and fruit picking and things like that. So, and we decided that we would do that as soon as we arrived. Um, so then it's out of the way. So as well as doing that, I was, um, I went to see the lady who had the swim school uh, and she took me sort of with her and I, I would see the little ones learn to swim program. And I just felt like I was in a completely different world, uh, the way they were teaching. Um, the, the exercises they were using, and also obviously the language, couldn't understand a lot of it. Um, but eventually, after a few months, things got better. And then I moved from, from there to, uh, to Queens, from Queensland. I went to, um, uh, to Brisbane, and I spent some time observing Stefan Widmer. At the time, he had um, Libby Lenton, uh, Lisa Jones, and a few other sprinters. So that, that was great. Um, it, it wasn't a mentor as such. I, you know, he, he just said, hey, you can observe, no problem. But he, he didn't have much time for me, which, which, is what, which was fine. I just could not speak English or understand it anyway. So I just, you know, uh, he, he gave me the sessions. I observed and learned from there. Um, and then after that, I went to Melbourne. Um, and I spent a lot of time with Brian Taylor, who is now in charge of um, the Australian uh, swimming team. Um, and that was great because my English was better. And he, um, 
he told me a lot. He took me uh, under his wing for, I think, about four months, uh, morning, afternoon, and he just told me everything he knew. Uh, at that time, my, my English was about 40% correct. <laughs> <It's that. laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, no, it, it was a great experience. Um, what, what I learned from my trip in Australia uh, was to structure my training sessions a lot more to work a little bit more on my periodization. Um, I think, to be honest with you, I, I don't think I got out as much as I could have simply because of the, uh, the barrier, the uh, language. Um, it was so difficult that the first nine, 10 months, uh, I did the best I could at the time, but yeah. So yeah, it took a lot of you know, work for me, but I also bought some DVDs uh, all, all the money I had, I would spend it on, on coaching things like DVDs, um, books, to learn the language and also to learn more about the job. Uh, that was great. Very, very tough experience. But it, it definitely had a, a big influence on my training program in the sense that the way they see swimming fits my personality. I, I quite like hard work. I quite like... Um, if I say volume, I'm going to be categorized as a big volume coach. I don't think it's true. I think it's smart volume. Um, and I think their way of doing it fits in my personality quite well. So you mentioned there just a couple of things I want to, I want to unpack a little bit more about that. First of all, you said, you know, you really kind of at, at the start struggle with the, the language barrier, right? Were you in that situation where kind of still almost struggling with the language, but, you know, trying to communicate with swimmers, trying to still deliver, you know, parts of sessions, how, how did you kind of navigate your way through that, through that period? Yeah, it's a good question. It, it, it took, it took a lot of hard work and effort. So, you know, when I was planting sugar canes, I was with Australians, Irish, Scottish, English. Um, I stayed away from French people, whether they were my friends or not, just because I wanted to speak English. I wanted to learn as quickly as possible. So at least at first, you just listen and you pick up one word out of 10 if you're lucky. Um, and then they'll ask you always the same questions. Where do you come from and what do you like? So you kind of repeat always the same sentences. It's a bit boring, but at the same time, you, you know, it, it makes you a bit more comfortable and confident. Um, and then, and then, yeah, just talking and listening to lots of different people, staying away from French people, uh, reading books. I read loads of books. Um, and, I, you know, the first, the first few books I read, I, I don't think I understood more than 10% of it. Uh, and I, 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 quite, I picked the wrong books as well. Uh, the lady said, yeah, it's easy to read, no problem. And it was all English like, you know, back in the uh, 17s or something. Um, wow. and, and so, yeah, it was tough. But, you know, listening to the music, trying to understand the lyrics. Uh, if we are watching movies, we'd have, we had to watch that in English with English subtitles. So, you know, you spend two hours reading subtitles, don't pay attention to the movie. But, you know, you learn a lot quicker than, you know, being at school, I think, just because you're in a country, you have to. Uh, and that's how I did it, really, just picking things up. Wow, I just I, I can't imagine going somewhere not understanding. Because, like, as like British people, we're, we're generally terrible at languages. 
Like we go, we go somewhere and expect everyone just to speak our yeah. language to us. Yeah. Right. So, so I've got a lot of respect for people that, that just go to another country and have to have to learn learn language. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that, that's quality. And then you mentioned when you was in Australia, like you said, you like hard work and, you know, you said you don't want to be categorized perhaps as, you know, one of those big volume coaches, but more kind of smart volume. What, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about smart volume and what's yeah. the difference. <laughs> What I mean by that is, um, I saw I saw something on the USA Swimming website a few years ago, and they, they put a famous American coaches on the spectrum from um, very very short uh, training program, high intensity. So I guess USRPT, let's say, and then very high volume, and they put their photos uh, on that spectrum according to where. Uh, they thought they did on half hour. I wonder where where do I see myself in that spectrum? Um, and I, I'm definitely more on, on the volume side. There's no doubt about it. But I think I think in a in a different way. You know, in in Plymouth we have swimmers who are very good at 50, 100. Some are very good at 100, 200. Some at 200, 400. I can't coach them all the same. They can't all do the same thing all the time. So. Um, especially more in the early days where um, we, we definitely had a lot more swimmers where, you know, 50, 100 and senior swimmers as well. I think that's important to, to mention that they were senior swimmers. Um, and, and so I think, you know, you have to adapt to, to the individual. But, but I, I do think that if you're 200 plus and even to some extent the 100, you, you need some volume. Um, just because that last 25 or the last 50 is not going to, you know, take care of itself just like that. <laughs> um, and obviously, th there will always be a few uh, exceptions to that, a few talented swimmers who, who will not quite um, fit that, I guess, philosophy or that concept. But, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I think, you know, it depends on the individual. Who do you have in front of you? What's their background? Um, because I, 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 can't, I can't have someone with 12 hours of training per week for years and then move that swimmer up to 25 hours just like that. One, is it necessary? Two, uh, how do we do that? So, yeah, it, it's very much for the individual. Um, I'm just in a situation at the moment where I've got more mid-distance swimmers really. Uh, quite interestingly, uh, we do have some very interesting sprint results, especially over the last, well, especially this season, I'd say, um, considering that we don't do that much printing. I think it's, it's quite interesting. Cool. So when you left Australia, um, your next move was to the UK, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, you embarked on your, your first head coach position at uh, Pool Swimming Club. How did your first head coach role kind of set you up to be, you know, an effective leader now in, in, your, in your role at, at Plymouth? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, first things first, I, I picked England because it was closer to France, uh, to my family. Um, and I really liked about pool swimming club at the time is that they had loads of pool time. Uh, the swimmers were not necessarily the best, but they had loads of pool time and I knew I could do something. Um, Six, six years at Pool Swimming Club was a great experience as head coach because it's, 
at the time it was a fairly small club um, in terms of numbers and, and quality uh, of streamers. Um, and I, I kind of, on full side, I had to do sort of everything by myself. I had volunteers to help me, but I had no professional coaches to take some sessions, uh, really. So I had a few volunteers who would run the Sunday sessions for me, which was great because that would give me a day off. But uh, I had to run age group females, youth females, um, and one or two, you know, senior females. So, you know, and then from from a behind the scene perspective, I had a, a committee, so, you know, parents, volunteers helping me around the club. Uh, I decided to change things right from the start, change the squad structure, the fees, everything. Um, and again, that, that was a bit difficult because people don't like change. And, you know, it's fine. But it, it gave me a lot of experience uh, to move on, but, to, you know, to, to help me be the, the person I am today. Um, I think well, one thing I'd say is changing everything in a club when you arrive is, in my opinion, is, is still the best thing to do. Um, you just got to try and get people on board. But also you, you have to have results. Uh, not necessarily in the short term, but in the medium term, you, you better have some good results. Otherwise, people are, are going to start questioning things a little bit. So something to keep in mind. So you spent some time uh, in Paul, and then you switched over to Plymouth and then became kind of uh, assistant head coach, deputy. Um, and now you're head coach again. So taken kind of, I wouldn't like to say a step down, but in terms of responsibility, it's, you know, a lower level and then taking a step up. How did you kind of manage that having lots of responsibility as a head coach and then down to kind of deputy and then back up to head coach, kind of going down and, and back up again? How, what was your experience like in that kind of transition? Yeah, so I, I think in, in terms of responsibilities, it was definitely a, a step back. Uh, which, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You, you, you run a, a program that's quite small. I guess you make it medium. We had some reasonable results as well, uh, good results. Um, and, but then you become, you know, you become deputy uh, or uh, assistant head coach. And uh, all of a sudden, there's less paperwork to do, which is good. You know, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but, but also, it, it, it was different because I had... Uh, a few coaches, you know, below me, and my, my job was to help them as well. So I had that responsibility. Um, when uh, when John was away, I had to sort of look after the performance guys a little bit more. Uh, but in terms of coaching, it was definitely a step forward because all of a sudden um, I could look after swimmers who are European Youth Olympic level, European juniors, uh, and also had you know um, the joy to. To coach senior females as well, and and so sometimes you you know you got to take a step back in in some areas to, to move forward. Uh, and for me, it was definitely definitely the the, the best thing to do. I think um, there's only so much you can do with with passion and hard work. Um, it was absolutely amazing, and I, I still keep an eye on their results. I absolutely love this club, and 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 the people involved in this club more importantly. Um, but um, I, I am quite, quite quite ambitious, and um, I always want 
I always ask myself, what, what's the next step? And I still do. I still do. What's the next step? What can I do better, different? And for me, having access to swimmers who are a bit older, at a higher level, um, that's where I saw myself. So I, 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 I'm, you know, to that step, and I don't regret it. Um, and then, yes, uh, moving from assistant head to head coach, um, I, I did feel a, a little bit of pressure the first day, I think, <laughs> and that's about it. Because after that, I was so busy, I did not have, you know, any time to think about. Um, anything else but trying to move things forward. So John had been there 27 years, obviously did a great job. Um, <clears throat> but there's a, there was a lot of work to do in, in many different areas. Um, so I had to, to get some volunteers to help me. And, um, and it, it was great because you, you don't want to be uh, under too much pressure or put yourself under too much pressure because to the point where it stops you from uh, doing things right so to me being busy and and you know trying to restructure things a little bit and 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 think about how we were going to finish that season because i took over on the first of february so we we are getting close to the british champs in april uh, and then international commitments so i had to sort of get in straight away fortunately because i was assistant head before uh, the transition was a lot easier i knew the streamers i knew what uh, you know roughly what they were doing well, they were in a cycle, and I knew their um, their weaknesses and their strengths. So I think it, it was a lot easier for me to to, to pick it up this way. Um, and I, and also, if you concentrate on the streamer uh, and the human being, you just want to help them. You just want to support them. And then, in a in a very short period of time, the streamers realize that very quickly that they do see your passion. They do see that you're committed. Uh, and you want to help, and then uh, I think you you create that bond between you and the athlete, um, and and things work quite well, you know. Uh, and so the transition was fairly fairly easy from from that perspective. I think um, I, I didn't think too much about the past results, and um, yeah, I just you know one step forward, keep going. <laughs> let's let's compare almost. The role of uh, the first head coach role you had to the head coach role you have now, what's kind of the the, the differences in terms of kind of um, how you have to how, how you lead? I guess right. Yeah, true. Um, th there are many many differences um, as far as the jobs are concerned, but also <laughs> as far as the person's concerned, because the coach or the head coach I was. Uh, between 2008 and 2014, uh, and the person I am now are obviously, you know, quite different. Um, I think, I think in my early early days, uh, at Poole, I was a little bit more of a, I guess, dictator. Um, I wanted to change things, um, and I didn't leave, you know, too much room for people, parents, volunteers to, to say otherwise. I had a clear idea of where, where I wanted to, to go and how. Uh, and I, I made it clear during my interview that I wanted to be free. Um, and, and so it, to be honest with you, right, I'm not sure this is correct to say it, but I was paid £1,000 per month before tax. So I think, I think they, were, uh, they, they quickly realized I was working really hard. Um, 
and I think that they trusted me and, and they were quite happy, you know, I guess to have me. That sounds a bit arrogant, I apologize for that, but for a thousand pounds a month. <laughs> At the time, <laughs> I, I you know, that was the one thing I was really, yeah. uh, the one thing I was totally unprepared for, me at my interview, I, I went through their club record, their website, they knew everything, and then they, were, they asked me about the salary, and I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even know what a pound could buy me. Okay, yeah. so I, when they say a thousand pound, I said, okay, sounds good, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, in a, in, in, I, I don't see that as a bad thing, you know, it, it was easier for me because they, they knew that, uh, Financially, I wasn't. I was not necessarily getting the best deal, so I think that gave me a little bit of leverage with, you know, um, changing things quick and and having it my way. So that was that. And then um, towards the end, I was probably a little bit more open, a bit more relaxed. Things were going fairly well for the club, so you can sort of back off a little bit. Um, and then I think I think with Plymouth, it's it's very interesting because I. Um, it was really difficult uh, in a sense that I remember telling my mom, oh, I don't know if I'm going to cope with all the administration. And she said, don't worry about the admin. Man managing people will be your biggest challenge. She was a headmistress, so she kind of knew what was going to happen. Uh, and yeah, that was true. Managing people, so difficult. <laughs> so, difficult. We, so we employed six coaches. Some are employed by Plymouth College. Uh, some are employed by Plymouth uh, Fiander, so there's a very strong partnership between the two. Um, and uh, we have support staff, we have the boarding staff from a, a college perspective, because we have swimmers who come from all over the world. Um, with, the, with, with the teachers, with the parents, there's so much going on. Um, and and that, that, that's difficult. That's very, very difficult because um, everybody's got their own ideas and and so it's trying to to allow the coaches and the staff to express themselves while at the same time you know um aiming for the same goal um i had a mentor when i was on the uh, uk coaching program uh, jenny cody um and and she she helped me a lot with that um, I said to her, look, I'm, I'm having a lot of issues with staff management, and some of it is their fault, some of it is my fault, so how can you, how you, how can you help me with that? So we did a lot of work on it. Um, quite a few staff left, um, and we've recruited some really good you know, coaches now. So we've got a very, very strong team, and, uh, and what we do is um, I'm very much, I think, I think I, I, I'm not very hands-on anymore. Uh, I, I say to them, so we meet twice twice a week, Monday, Thursday, for an hour and a half. Monday tends to be a bit more admin, but Thursday we do more informal CPDs. Uh, and I, don't, I do not lead those CPDs. They decide in advance what they're going to talk about. They're in charge of their own topic. Um, and I come as a normal coach, uh, and I, I tend to not talk a lot. I, I try to let them talk. And, and, you know, it's, it's only at the end that I give my opinion. Um, and, and quite often I won't, just because I'm, I'm quite happy with what's going on. And, and so I just let them, unless they ask me, but otherwise I'm, I'm quite chill. Um, and so, yeah, the, 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 the coaches um, 
you know, they're in charge of the squad. They're in, they have duties, responsibilities. I'm not going to be on their back all the time. Um, my office is always open if they want some help. But, uh, you know, they, they take responsibility, the good and the bad. So when they have parents who complain, I let them deal with that. That's not for me. Um, so I think, you know, I think it works really well uh, if you have the right staff. Um, and I think we do now, so that's great. Um, and um, yeah, for, for, from a pool deck perspective, we uh, we try and have the coaches to work together so that the coaches below uh, learn from the one above. Um, not, not, not just like the coach himself or herself, but also uh, who are the swimmers in the group above? What do they do? How do they do it? Um, and that's quite important. Uh, so we try to, to mix, so there's a, you know, as often as we can, there will be a lead coach and assistant coach. It's not always true, not every session, but we do that quite a lot. Um, and I think, you know, again, it works really well. And what we do quite often as well is we, we talk about um, wh what do we want to achieve? What, what do we want to be seen as, um, as a club and as a staff? What do we want to represent? What, what are our values? What's our philosophy? Um, and we, we did something like that a couple of weeks ago, I think, or maybe last week, just because we've got two new staff who joined in the middle of COVID. So I, I wanted to sort of go back to the basics and right. Um, but just because the new coaches arrived doesn't mean that they didn't have an input. So we kind of discussed all the values we had and where, where we wanted to go, what we believed in. And, and not just from the streaming perspective, again, those, those values that are very important to us. Um, we want to make sure they're important to our streamers. And, um, and so, yes, we, we try to have a, you know, a common language, I guess. Uh, but, well, at the same time, allowing, once again, the coaches and the streamers to express themselves. So what I mean by that is every coach of Plymouth Yander, Plymouth College, understands how important underwater work technique commitment to distance and speed, um, how important that is. We all understand that. And, and we're all going to use some drills. But as long as they teach it, I, I don't mind what drill they use, for example. So if a coach comes up with a different uh, process to teach that particular skill and it works, uh, then, then I'm happy with it. Um, so common language with enough room to, uh, to express ourselves as a, as a coach and a person. And, and, and within that, obviously, let the streamers express themselves as well. Because not everybody's got the same body shape or the same, uh, you know, commitment. And, and so it's important to, to allow that, that, um, that synergy to happen between, between the concept and, and the people around it. I think that that leads nicely into into the next little question uh, that that I wanted to talk about. So, I don't know if you've done that one on purpose or if it's just no, just luck. Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, you've so I had a look through kind of your your profile on the Plymouth Leander website, and it you know there's a little quote in there from you that says you know fast and skillful swimming is is hard to hard to come by. Is this because it's difficult to make a swimmer fast and skillful, in your opinion, or do you think it's, you know, not many people are both? Um, first things first, um, I, I would say that 
at school and I'll say the home PE education is not what it used to be. Um, so call me old school, but in my days, we used to play with my brother in the garden um, for hours, jump, land, crouch, play football, play basketball. I think nowadays with technology, iPads, iPhones, and so on, uh, the kids that spend probably, I'd say, a little bit too much time on their, on their screen and not enough uh, going outside and, and naturally becoming uh, an all-rounded athlete. Okay, uh, I, I don't know too much what the PE education is in the UK to be honest with you, but um, I, I just think that the, the swimmers, when they join a, join a swimming club, and after a few years, I don't think they're all uh, as rounded athletes as they should be, respective to their age. Uh, if, I'm not sure that makes sense, what I'm, what I'm trying to say. But, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and you see that, for example, if you, if you have a swimmer, a young swimmer, so say maybe, I don't know, eight years old, and then it happened to me a few, a few times in the past, but I, I would look at the swimmer, and I'm like, that swimmer has a better um, perception, self-perception, self-understanding of how their bodies work, whether it's in the water or on land. And then you, you start asking questions, oh, do, do you do swimming only? Is there anything else? Uh, no, I do gym. Oh, you do gym. Uh, okay, yeah, I joined a gymnastic club about four or five years ago. And, and then all of a sudden, that swimmer's got flexibility, range, awareness, and it transfers in the water. No doubt. I'm not saying that, you know, every swimmer should be gymnastic to be, you know, the next Adam Pitti, but um, I, I think at a young age, uh, there's something missing. A simple thing like, if I throw a pool boy at a swimmer, they can't, sometimes they can't even catch up with Catch it, yeah. And, and these kids are 16 years old plus. I don't think that's right. So I think that, that's part of it, um, but it's not all of it. Uh, I think what I mean by that was the package to sort of make it to the elite, it's is very you know big it's quite um it's quite diverse as well you know there are some common traits with swimmers who do really well at top level but it doesn't mean they're all the same um and if you work with age repairs you can spend years working on their technique and the technique looks good but how do you balance that with the development of the aerobic capacity the kicking the pulling sculling and so on uh, and also the other thing is a swimmer with good technique and good skills could grow a lot very quickly and then the technique changes mm. so you i'm not saying you've got to do it all over again but um it's 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 another piece of the puzzle that you, you've got to try and find and develop so um i think that's what i mean by that it's it's very hard, it's very difficult because it takes a long time to develop. Um, sometimes the swimmers will get stuck. You know, we, we all know swimmers who, who do really well at a young age and then they, they, they can't make it um, any further and so they quit or, and, and it's difficult to find a, you know, a way around that. Um, because 
the, the, the mistake I made when I, when I started actually at Poole was spending a little bit too much time on technique. Um, and I remember Graham Bassi said to me, you know, don't forget that these kids need to be fit and faster. Right? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, you, you know it, but it's good to be reminded of it. Um, so I, I went back and, and started, you know, doing a little bit more volume here and there. Um, the balancing the two is very, very challenging, very challenging. Um, and I'm not even talking about the transition from age group to youth, because every, you know, everybody knows about that, but there's, there's another part of the transition that maybe we don't talk about enough, is transitioning from an international junior to an international senior, because that is another big um, obstacle to, to their career. Because you know you do well at European juniors, potentially world juniors, and then the next year you're, you're with the big guys, but you don't you don't necessarily have the experience, the knowledge, um, the confidence, the um, and and the ability to, to progress further. And so, how do we equip the streamers with with such things? And uh, and that takes a long time. But that's the other problem. That's the other problem. It can take a long time. You know, uh, and so, yeah, I, I guess it's a long answer, but that, that's sort of what, what I meant. Um, fast and good technique, it's not easy to find because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of resilience from the swimmer and the coach. I think it takes a great relationship between the coach and the swimmer. Um, and quite often the coach, you know, potentially will leave the club before that happens or the swimmer will do something else. So, and that's why. I think just, just from my experience working with, with age group swimmers, a lot of the time you either get someone who's really technical, really skillful, or someone that is really, really fast. Mm. So having that, like you say, that balancing act, that blend between the two is, like you say, sometimes difficult to come across and, and difficult to develop because it is, it is like really walking on a tightrope, I guess. Very much so. And um, it, it includes soft skills as well. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that, that term, by the way, soft skills, because I just think the kids are soft enough as it is. <laughs> um, but, but I think um, I think a lot of swimmers don't, don't quite understand that. You know, that they just see, all right, I've got a race here, I'm going to try and go as fast as possible. And you might discuss the racing process before, uh, an age group or not, quite often it goes out the window. So, um, <clears throat> you know, Having the intelligence to stick to a plan, a program, uh, what decision are, going, are you going to make if, if, your if you can see your turn is not going to be perfect because you're not quite, the timing is not quite there because you're a little bit too close or a little bit too far? What, what decision are you going, are going to make in such a small period of time? And, and so, and quite often, we coaches will say to the streamer, oh, um, that turn wasn't good, or this and that. And, and I try, I try, and I, I make that mistake, in my, but I, I try hard to think in a different way and say, right, that streamer repeatedly misses their turn. Let's pretend for a second that it's not their fault. Could it be my fault? Is it, is it that I don't do enough turns? Or is it that we don't pay enough attention to terms? What, what is it? 
Um, and quite often, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you realize that there's something you can do different or better. Um, you know, and sometimes the females could do something different and better, right? But it, but it's um, again, it's it's a coach-athlete relationship. It's not uh, it's not a me or a you. It's it's we. It's us. How how do we do that together? Um, and so um, and so there's there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it than just swimming up and down. The right strategy is managing from, you know, how do you manage your effort from heat to semis, semis to final? Um, how do you manage that if your top three in the world will be different to, you know, how are you going to manage it if you're 20th in the world? Um, you know, and I, I, I do think some of these concepts are probably a little bit too advanced for. I guess some youth females and age groupers, but once in a while, just discussing this thing is quite important. Especially, you know, British swimming and swimming learning do a lot of work with the coaches and the swimmers, talking about uh, emotion management, staying in the middle, avoiding the highs and the lows. And um, it's definitely something age group swimmers need to work on. We all yeah. know that. Um, but but how do we do it? You know, it, it can't just be managing that at a competition while it's happening. Um, and so it's taking the time to perhaps, you know, organi organizing team meetings, um, you know, and, and talk about such things. Or, or, or better, ask questions to the students, open questions, questions that cannot be answered by yes or no. Ask them the questions and let them talk uh, and, and maybe write if you know something on the whiteboard. Um, when we, maybe not so much this season because it, it's been a little bit crazy with COVID yeah. lockdowns and so on, but normally we would do three meetings per cycle. So one at the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end. Um, and we try to do that for every cycle, and, and, and sometimes we do a few informal meetings in between. Um, my streamers also know they can you know, come in my office. Or, so, you know, it's important to do these things because, again, everybody's so busy. You know, the, the swimmers get up early in the morning, they, 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 they do the activation, they swim, they stretch, and then they go to a rush to the mini bus, go to school, have breakfast, and start their lessons. The uni guys have to go to uni, and I have to go to the office. So, um, you know, Monday to Friday, it's really hard to find the time to, to have those meetings with swimmers who are not. I would say professional swimmers who are on funding, and you know, so. Um, but it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done. You've got to do it. I, I like to explain to them, you know, we've got that many weeks. This is what we're going to do in those weeks. This is why. Um, and I, you know, quite often we, when we do sets, I, I like to explain as well. I, I want them to understand the purpose of the set. And sometimes we'll 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 lose. I say lose or waste. It's not not right to say that, but we will spend five, ten minutes talking about the set um, and why, what I expect and, and what I want to see. And we did it this morning, you know, I designed a set where we had a bit of kicking, a bit of back and speed, and I said, you know, bring awareness to your kick on that last 50 and so on. Um, I think the whys are important, and I think that's, that's, that applies to every streamer, age group, to senior. Um, 
I think it's important they understand why they're doing it, so they buy into it. And if they disagree, they can voice it and we can discuss it. Maybe not on full site during the session, but after or before. Um, and, um, you know, and I think it, it's quite important. And, and I think that the, the final bit I'd say as well is, and I, I said that to them quite I said, I'm not going to pretend that I know you better than you know yourself. So if, if the, uh, the training cycle says X, Y, and Z, um, and you're really tired, so we are assuming that swimmer, swimmer that tendency is very high, there's 99% you know, of the things right. I'm talking swimmers who are committed, okay? Yeah. Um, if, if the way they feel physically, physiologically, um, is not quite where it should be, I want them to tell me. Because if it's going to be a challenging set and their body or their mind or both are not ready for it, then we need to change the plan. Yeah. Because I'm not going to get what I want out of it. So I wouldn't want to do that too often. But again, assuming this, the swimmer is professional and, and uh, committed, I've got no issues changing the plan in there. And I think it's important that they know that because it strengthens your relationship with them. Mm. And, and their trust as well. Okay. Because I, I want to support them. I want to help them. So I don't want to pretend that I know them better. Tell me how you feel. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you don't like about my coaching, about my session. We can have a conversation about it. All right? And I'll probably tell you what I don't like, you know, uh, <laughs> about you as a streamer. But, it, but it's, you know, and sometimes they are very difficult conversations to have. Um, yeah. But that's also how you, I think you develop uh, a great working relationship, uh, you know, and um, loyalty, I guess, and, and efficiency. You know, some streamers have been coaching them seven and a half years. And uh, there's one in particular, and you know, seven and a half years is a long time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. Um, others four or five years, and others six months. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's a wide scope, and but I think it's really interesting the the journey, this, this relationship between the coach and the athlete is so amazing. It's you know, it's definitely what you know drives me to, to coach every day. I'm not going to pretend I turn up on Pulsar and I'm, you know, everything is perfect every day. We have very good days, very bad days, and anything in between, right? We're, we're a normal program. But, um, but, you know, yeah, I, I love coaching. I love supporting these, these young kids and, and see what well, young kids, young people, and, and see them achieve their potential, whatever that means. Brilliant. So we're coming towards the end of end of the episode, Robin. Um, I always ask our guests for kind of three tips on a specific topic. Topic, and you know, we you just spoke there at length about developing kind of fit, fast, and and skillful swimmers all in one kind of intelligent races as as well. So, what would be out of kind of that whole answer? What would be your top three tips for developing uh, fast and skillful swimmers? Well, the first one I, I would say, um, are you working on the cause or the consequence? Um, what I mean by that is, 
is the problem you see in front of you what needs to be fixed? Or is it happening because of something else? Um, and I apply that to technique, skills, but also, you know, uh, the, the periodization. So if, if all my swimmers turn up for the British champs and they cannot finish their 200, so out of 10 swimmers, nine or 10 of them or eight of them cannot finish, clearly die on the last 50, that's clearly on me. Yeah. So the fact that they can't finish uh, their race is, in my opinion, the consequence. It's not the problem itself. So if I work on the consequence, I'm potentially going to miss something. So what's causing that consequence? Where is the code? Okay, and then you go back to the technique is the same. Um, you know, you, you can tell some swimmers to, uh, I don't know, to, um, to kick better butterfly, um, maybe using their legs more or something. But if they're not using their hips, if they're not using their chest, there's only so much they can kick from, from the knees. Okay, yeah. so is that the cause or the consequence? Okay. Um, the, 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 second, the second tip I have really is just to be patient. I, I, heard, I heard Bob Bowman years ago say, I think the question was, you know, what, what does it take to, to develop someone like, I guess, Michael Phelps? But, um, and, and he said something like, you know, it takes X, Y, and Z. But more importantly, he said, it takes time and patience. And that's what yeah. nobody understands. And, and you know, I understand that, but I think I do. And then I come across a situation where I get frustrated. Yeah. And then in that particular moment, I forgot that it takes time and patience. So I always go back to this thing that, you know, I, I heard him say in an interview, time and patience, time and patience. Um, and then the, the last one is, is one of, I discuss with the coaches a lot is um, positive reinforcement. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not perfect with it. I'm, you know, I, I do my best, but sometimes I, I don't do it the way I should. So you've got two ways to say to someone that uh, they're underwater is not, not good. You can say, oh, um, you know, your underwater wasn't good, technique, distance, not good. Or you can say, look, um, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Let's see if we can do even better. The same message, the one is more positive than the other. Yeah. Um, and I, I try to, to encourage the coaches to, to be more positive when, when they uh, coach their swimmers. And I try and, and stick to that as well. And, and again, I, you know, I'm not perfect on this up, but I think it's really important because otherwise it gets frustrating for you. It gets frustrating for the swimmer. Um, and the entire, the, the whole experience is not, well, it's quite negative. So I think if you get to the point where positive reinforcement is not going to work, you might as well walk away from that swimmer and see someone else. And if we can, if we can find the things they're not good at, we can also surely find the things they're really good at and, and maybe praise them. Because if they're good at it, can they be great at it? And if they're not good at it, they know it, they're not stupid. So let's just say, hey, you know what? It's getting better. Let's see how we can improve it even more. And again, it's definitely not the same message. And uh, what, what I find when I do that is that the swimmers make more eye contact. 
they are body language, their face, everything is a little bit more open to communication and, and they're more receptive and therefore they push off the wall and I don't know if they have a smile on their face, but oh, actually he said my underwater was a bit better and I wasn't really paying attention to it. So I, I'm, I'm going to pay even more attention to it. Again, it's not going to be fixed overnight. It's time and patience, but yeah, so these, these are the, these are the three, the three tips, cause of consequence, time and patience, and a positive uh, reinforcement. Perfect. That's, uh, well, certainly for me, you know, I can, I can agree with all, all three of those things. And, you know, I think they're, they're really kind of simple things to think about as well in terms of going back to basics. Let's think about what's the root cause of a problem. Let's be patient with it and let's frame things a little bit more positively. I think that's certainly something I'm going to, going to take away and apply in, in, into my practice. So thank you for that, Robin. No problem. Thank you for having me and thank you for your time. Okay, so that brings us to the end of episode six of series four of the Poolside Pass podcast. Great to hear from Robin Armayan about his experience uh, coaching, coaching out in France, in Australia, and then making his move over, over to the UK. Really, really fascinating to hear him talk about cause and consequence when you're speaking about evaluating a swimmer's performance or evaluating uh, a swimmer's technique. That's, you know, that's a really good key point for, for coaches to, to keep in mind, but also that balancing act when you're working with, with age group swimmers about making them fit and fast and making them really technical. Where, where do you fall on, on that balancing act? Uh, if you like the podcast, make sure you give us some great feedback on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Poolside Pass. You can catch all our other episodes over at your favourite podcast platform, but also on our website, www.thepoolsidepass.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>